and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. I almost said caustic. I almost said it. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny like what recurring jokes we end up doing on the show. <laughs> and like caustic is the one that we didn't ask for that we don't want that will not leave. Yeah. I think he's great though. It's just I think- too easy to dunk on caustic. And you know that's how caustic ended up as caustic in the first place probably. Yeah, they were like, who's this Who's this idiot with, you know... <laughs> who's this idiot? <laughs> who's this gassy idiot? <laughs> yeah. But, uh, sp- uh, unlike Caustic... Mm-hmm. So, you know, not unlike Caustic, just forget Caustic. That's oh, a better wow, qualifier. Okay. Yeah. Brendan, I have been playing Final Fantasy IX. Uh, we touched on it a little bit last episode, because mm-hmm. um, it was announced at the Nintendo Direct that it was coming to Switch, that, and it said available later today. Yeah. Uh, I, I I audibly gasped and I downloaded it. Yeah, you immediately Switch. downloaded it. You told me later that day that you were like multiple hours into it already. Yeah, um, you were about to make a th- uh, a sentence that I interrupted though. What were you going to say? I don't remember. But what I will say now that you've given me the floor is that I am really excited for you to tell me about Final Fantasy IX because, as you know, and as listeners of the show know. I am on my constant quest to get a really good JRPG on the Switch. I just really want to have that experience on the Switch. And we know that Dragon Quest is coming. I still think that Persona is coming around the same time that Joker comes out for Smash. I feel I like that's so. I mean, inevitable. There's a new, uh, there's like Persona Q3, which is like a like yeah. chibi style dungeon crawl for the 3DS. So I think it's likely that that's like a build up for a Switch release for something. I feel like it's it's inevitable um, in the yeah. same way that Nier Automata is inevitable for Switch. Just calling that out again. Um, but I think that we're going to get a good JRPG eventually, like made for the Switch or a, a really spectacular port. Also, in the realm of ports, every single, not every single, but many Final Fantasy games are now getting ported over, and 9 is the first of them, and you've been playing it, and you're excited about it. And I'm excited to hear about it, because I want your energy to convince me to spend <laughs> my hard-earned dollars on this video game. So, I'll, I'll open with this, and I, I think I've probably touched on this in almost every episode of the show. Uh, I'm a huge Final Fantasy fan. I kind of stopped playing, not for any conscious reason, but I kind of fell off the bandwagon after 10 mm-hmm. i played a couple of them here and there but but i i final fantasy 7 was my gateway into thinking of games differently at a very young age yeah um you know at that point i was nine years old i had played a lot of like really classic nintendo games um and loved them mm. but there's nothing really about about you know super mario world that like that instills like a sense of story or a sense of scale. It's still very much a game. And not right. to think less of it for that, but it's not that experience that I didn't know existed until I played games like Ocarina of Time and Final Fantasy VII. I feel like both those games are often lumped into the same kind of echelon of like games are art 1997 entry waypoint kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is my band name. Uh, you can follow us on SoundCloud. Games but, are art um, 1997. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what? Maybe I should delete that account. That doesn't sound great the second time. Um, <laughs> That's the trick. You can only hear them once. But the 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 reason I bring up all all that up is because I'm coming into this with a very heavy like adventurer's backpack of nostalgia. Like this series mm-hmm. means something to me that, despite your efforts, may not mean the same to you or someone who hasn't played it at at those formative years. I I yeah. totally understand that. And I certainly wouldn't want to force that experience onto anyone who hasn't had it organically. 
And I also, I, I've in more recent years, I've replayed seven, I've replayed six, uh, I've replayed uh, a handful of Final Fantasies, and and you know, I can kind of see a bit. It's it's hard to think of anything objectively, but I can see more. Like, okay, like would I like this the same playing it now for the first time? Can I truly recommend this to someone in 2019 who has never played this series before? Right. Um, and with a lot of Final Fantasies, I, I run into that issue. I think six is a classic. Uh, it's it's the it's the like flagship game for classic SNES RPG like alongside Chrono Trigger. You six was get... an SNES game. Yeah, six okay. was not to get into the timeline, but six was released as three in the US originally. Oh, weird. Okay. Yeah, it was because basically how it worked. If you're curious, is Final Fantasy one came out yeah. in Japan and the US. That game is like very much a a rooted in kind of a D formula like you make your party so you choose like what classes your party is mm-hmm. there's a big bad there's some kind of weird story and like that's basically it some kind of weird story yeah yeah no but it's like very simple like by, by at least by the standard set by the series today yeah um in comparison so the first one came out in both countries the second one only came out in japan and it's kind of considered the worst one um, there's a thing where like your party leveled up Skyrim style by like the more they did things, the, the better they would be at them. I like and that. so people f- personally, it's a, it's a cool concept, but pe- people realize that you can level up by attacking your own characters. Oh so, my like, God. <laughs> so like, it was just sort of like a, you know, at that point they hadn't really set a series standard yet. So it was definitely like the black sheep sophomore effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and then three, was the first Final Fantasy game that kind of had a constructed narrative going in. Interesting. Um, and that only came out in Japan. It came out later in the US and 3DS. I have not played it. Four in Japan was two in the US. Okay. Um, and that is the first game where you can kind of see what the series would become. Yeah. Um, it's a story about crystals coming together and mm. being a doomsday weapon. Love me some crystals. Uh, uh, the main character is a dark knight who later becomes a paladin. Mm-hmm. Beautiful music. Uh, at the time, a very cutting edge story. I don't think that game has aged as well as other ones, but like, yeah. if I, I consider four and or two to be like the true first Final Fantasy as we know it today. Yeah, um, I've played it. I've enjoyed it. Actually, fun fact: the 3DS uh, version of it is full 3D with voice acting. And I believe the host of the Japanese Iron Chef is the voice of the villain, which I love. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. So that adds another layer to me, you know, biting into a pepper before he attacks you. <laughs> uh, and then five came out only in Japan, release, re-released later. And five is kind of, I would say, the main inspiration for a game like Octopath Traveler, where mm. it's gameplay first, story second. Yeah. It's a very kind of class-centric game where... You can level up jobs and combine them. Uh, people really love Five for that sense of, of just like fun and kind of a gameplay centric Final Fantasy game, which rarely happens. Yeah. And then Six came out in Japan, came out as three in the U.S. That game rules. That's I think the golden example of that kind of classic era of JRPGs. Mm. Um, you have an amazing ensemble. All the characters are are compelling in their own way. It fucking terrifying villain who wins halfway through the game. So many stories, especially like comic book stories and, you know, blockbuster movies kind of have like the villain's plot as like, we have to stop this before this happens. And Final Fantasy VI, the villain wins and like basically destroys the world halfway into the game. <laughs> and the rest of the game is spent 
gathering trying to find your party mates and convincing them that despite everything there's still something worth fighting for wow which i think is like beautiful and still you see the world map it's called the world of balance in the beginning and then after kefka gets his godlike powers it's just like the sunset is yellow and orange like the land is broken like you spend the first 20 minutes of the world of ruin kind of just like like bringing fish to like a dying ally it's brutal (laughs) and that game can really only exist in that format like i don't think a 3d remake of that would really translate that's wild that sounds really interesting six is great and i think six probably has the best sense of scale and easily the best villain kefka is he's terrifying because he's a character who is never truly omnipotent and you kind of like he's a clown like he's a little jester Mm. Who's more annoying than he is like intimidating, even though he's like truly sadistic. And he kind of stumbles into getting godlike powers and then uses them to just destroy everything. Yeah. And having a villain like that that has such a strong ensemble kind of almost centered around is like a really compelling story. Yeah. I don't think the gameplay in that would really appeal to someone now who didn't kind of grow up with it. Um, the random encounter rate is like really high. Mm. Uh, it, you kind of get into territories where you're like, I want this story to keep moving. I don't want to have to like, and that's how a lot of people feel about these games. Like, I don't want to have to put up with navigating menus yeah. for 20 hours just to get to the part that I want. And then it's like, well, why is this even a game? Yeah. Which is where the strength of games like Chrono Trigger and even as recently as Pokemon Let's Go kind of come in. Exactly. Allow yeah, you to avoid I think, that stuff. And, and I mean, God, we could have a whole other podcast about Chrono Trigger. I, that that game to me is like one of the best mm. uh, and i think that in terms of gameplay like it definitely feels fun and fresh today um i say all this and you know seven seven is kind of a similar thing where like i think that the characters in the story still appeal but i think that the gameplay you kind of have to get through yeah i'm intrigued for when seven comes out on switch to see like once i start playing it is this going to be the miraculous moment that everybody else had or is it going to be me just kind of like looking back on a thing that other people liked and honestly i i I, i'm willing to be proven wrong but i fear it will be the latter for seven that all being said started playing nine again for the first time in a while yeah for the first time in probably six years yeah and nine is one of my favorites if not my favorite because i think it it has that story and that ensemble and that kind of sense of scale but with gameplay that is a lot more palatable in 2019 mm-hmm. so I, I i started playing nine um, i'll say real quick it's a uh you know it's the switch port version of it i've seen some discussion online whether or not this port is good basically mm-hmm. um <laughs> uh, apparently it's the same port that's on pc and on android honestly i think it's great i think that the visuals like the graphics have clearly been cleaned up like the characters look awesome yeah sometimes the backgrounds can be a little blurry but like the characters really look wonderful um the animations are good and the music sounds lovely so like that's what i care about yeah especially the music in that game the soundtrack of ff9 i think actually nobu matsu considers his best work hmm if nothing else, listen to the soundtrack. It's it's dope. Yeah. But uh the only thing with the port is that they don't they don't have the ability to do like the widescreen, like full switch screen. So there are like borders on the side that kind of have oh, so it it's be... like a four by three aspect ratio still. Exactly. Yeah. And the borders are like these sort of gray they they do their best to kind of fade into the action. Yeah. They stand out probably for the first fifteen minutes you play, but I find this game so immersive that I quickly forget about them. Mm, yeah. I think that in a perfect world that would have been like an optional thing to have. 
but kind of like again, how in the undertale port you can like change the uh the yeah. stuff happening outside of the screen you can change the borders and like yeah so I, I think that there's plenty to critique about the port but i think that for the core purposes of having the game on the switch it serves its job well yeah depending on like how much you want this game on switch that will be the determining factor if you're willing to spend 20 bucks on it yeah i think it's it's totally fair to critique ports because like at their worst they could be a cash grab but like i find having this game on the switch is so wonderful Mm -hmm. that i don't mind some of the blemishes here and there and honestly like there are some ports like the port the the mobile port of ff6 is god awful the sprites are like cleaned up in a way that look like microsoft paint art and the font is like just straight up aerial like it's awful um <laughs> yeah the fondness is a little different but i think it, it it doesn't stand out at all and again like everything about the game is there just sort of the weird borders so like that's really not enough for me to to go either way on it yeah honestly. i saw some complaints um, about like the ui and the font and stuff and like look i'm a i'm a person who has a pretty strong background in design and like i'm not gonna not play a game because of the font like that's not the thing that's i good think for that there are some it. examples of of other font fantasy ports where the font is so horrendous that i could see that honestly oh, really this is not one of them this is not like you're not playing in web dings where like you just can't even tell what's <laughs> happening yeah i mean i'm looking at screenshots of the port right now and like it is so exactly what i would expect final fantasy to look like like i don't even yeah consider it to be problematic anyway so so. yeah i'm about eight hours in Mm -hmm. and i i've doubled down on this being my favorite final fantasy and also i think being the best entry point for someone who maybe missed this bandwagon and wants to see what it was all about yeah um I think, and I think that for many reasons. One, I think that the game, because of its very strong art direction, this game came out on PS1, and like it still looks better than some PS2 games. Like it is unreal yeah. how good this game looks, especially at the time. So the art style is still appealing. It's not like FF7 where you're in like a Playmobil kind of polygon sprites, right? And it's also this game was kind of a reaction. I mean, I love FF7 and FF8. But a lot of people were kind of like, oh, this series is kind of moving in a new direction very quickly. Mm. Like, whatever happened to... And I don't really like that mindset of, like, you know, looking back too much. But that all being said, FF9 is a direct tribute to, like, FF6, basically, in terms of tone, in terms of, like, what the world is like. And how would you describe that? Well, I think the reason why I love this setting so much is because both in FF6 and in FF9... The world itself is very colorful. Yeah. You meet, you constantly meet characters who are so endearing and so weird and so f- like fun. Um, the world is very bright, almost feeling like kind of a more muted version of Sesame Street in the weirder moments where like mm. it, it's so endearing. I think the same thing with Undertale, where like you talk to any NPC in that game and they have an inkling of a story. Yeah. And then when the bad shit happens it means so much more to you like when this game and this game gets pretty dark so when there suddenly is war between kingdoms when there is like really suddenly very high stakes you feel like you're in it because you've experienced this world at its best right you're not told by a narrator like in some far off kingdom war has you know it's it, you just see it happening you see it unfolding before you mm. This game, <laughs> talk to any NPC. Like I, I went into like I literally went into a store. Like is the the most fodder to be the most generic experience. And I talked to an NPC in the store, and it was the synthesis wife. That's how she was listed. Okay, and she said 
she was like oh boy been married for 40 years we've saved up and now we're gonna see a play tonight i'm so happy dot 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 (laughs) (laughs) the game just takes advantage of having these seemingly throwaway characters just like wink at a story that you might enjoy yeah i love that there's a character named i tweeted this there's a character named hip paul who's a hippo kid who's like (laughs) i'm so happy i hid all my magic cards in the well then you like find them and you're like i found hip paul's cards like little examples but like the game is full of that kind of stuff you cannot talk to an npc and not have some kind of sense of character that the world is so immersive because of that not to mention it's like beautiful like there's airships uh there's like all the stuff you want yeah i just you also tweeted a screenshot of um somebody who's running a hotel and his name is just fish man yeah exactly like uh, an innkeeper is just a fish guy and he's like no vacancies i'm like i love this yeah there's Um, like it's great because like there's no goof there besides the fact that he's a fish man that runs a hotel exactly so i think that that's subjective obviously like that's just something that i like i like this kind of non sequitur kind of moments but i think the reason it's such a good entry point is the the introduction like the the first hour of this game rules the setup is you uh the main character uh it it shifts perspectives a lot which i'll get into but you are zidane who's this kind of thief with the heart of gold character Mm. uh who is on an airship full of traveling actors who are secretly thieves which like great incredible yeah so their plot it's a very simple setup and the first fight in this game is like the boss of the ship just wanting to like kick everyone's ass for a bit like he jumps into the room wearing a dragon's like helmet and like just wants to fight yeah. and that's the first fight of the game so anyway you and this traveling group of of actor thieves tantalus make a mission to kidnap the princess of alexandria they've been commissioned to do this mm. so you head out there the perspective then shifts to vivi who's like easily my favorite character in this series one of my favorite characters like in video games yeah. I think he's incredible he's based off of the traditional black mage design so like big pointy hat shadowy face with two glowing eyes yeah. um kind of like the jawas in star wars right. vivi also makes an appearance in kingdom hearts 2 in twilight town when you fight he him during the sure struggle does. tournament i freaked out but anyway so vivi it shifts to vivi who's like just in town the first thing he does is trip on the floor and it's like it just shows you know his intro um and he just wants to get a ticket to the show so he's at the show with this rat kid who like convinces him to do some shitty things great to get in so they sneak in to see the show and then it also shifts to steiner who is like basically c-3po as a knight in in, in rusty armor awesome. uh, he's this knight that demands order and wants nothing more than to protect the princess who he truly loves yeah. uh in a paternal way but like no one respects him no one listens to him it's it's comedy gold constantly like there's one point where you're searching for the princess and he's just you know whenever he runs around you just hear armor clinking <laughs> and someone just like he walks into someone's house and they're like i can't help you here have some tea and he's like mm, tea he's like wait this isn't the time for tea and like cuts right back to like, <laughs> like he's constantly distracted he's constantly won over by the wrong people but like he demands order and it is so funny yeah but just in a second like there's a cutscene where the princess is sitting next to her queen about to next to the queen about to watch this like show begin and steiner standing proudly behind them and he catches a glimpse that the princess is like kind of bored and upset looking and he like looks shocked Mm -hmm. um and just in that moment you get like this is a guy who like his allegiance is her not the kingdom we get that right away despite what he says and what he like you know confesses like 
he cares about her and her alone yeah so and what's brilliant is that the game lets you play as all of them so rather than just telling you this like you get immersed in all of their stories because you get at least a moment where you play as them directly right which i think is so important for a game to do so all plots converge the the thieves get to alexandria and find out that the princess actually wants to be kidnapped because she wants to leave so great uh and there's great moments where like steiner ends up on stage and has to improvise like being in this play with these other people yeah when you learn the combat of the game the magic spells you do are actually like uh special effects on stage so like they're not real magic and you're just trying to put on a show for the crowd awesome then of course it's revealed that garnet the princess is actually leaving and the queen like attacks the ship as it gets away with Steiner, Vivi, Zidane, and Garnet. It's a really strong cast of four. Like, yeah. you meet some other characters later in the journey who are fun, but but that cast of four play off each other so well. Because mm. like Zidane's the thief of the heart of gold. He's kind of an idiot, sometimes a jerk. But like you could tell that he's very selfless, and that like whenever there's actual danger, he's like the first to jump in front of it. Yeah, and then that 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 translates very well, despite some of his like shittier moments vivi is just like the most lovable like dorky kid ever uh garnet's awesome because she just you know she's someone who is trying to leave this world and adapt to a world she doesn't understand yet Mm -hmm. but wants to she renames herself dagger when she leaves the 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 kingdom Mm. um and steiner is just hilarious but so lovable because like any any threats he makes are like immediately dropped like he's constantly like you like thief like i'll have you hanged the minute we're back and he's like well i will bargain for a life sentence so he has helped me a bit yeah um, you know to himself <laughs> uh, so i say all that because you get such the, the writing is honestly great after playing a lot of games recently that haven't had the best writing it is such a breath of fresh air to jump to a game like this and like genuinely laugh at moments that are funny feel struck by moments that are dramatic um, and have such a good cast. Yeah. And I think that the the gameplay, it's turn-based combat, but like it's very uh it's very engaging because every character is set to a certain role. So like Vivi is a black mage, Sedane's a thief, Steiner's a knight, Garnet's a white mage. Um it's very traditional in that sense, but you can learn abilities by equipping certain pieces of armor that grant you abilities while wearing them and will let you keep those abilities if you level them up to a certain point. So there's just enough customization that you're you're tweaking the characters to your liking, but they also fit a very direct role. And that means that when you are fighting, you are not taken out of the narrative. Yeah. It's not something that bec- that comes in the way of it like it has in the past. Like, you know, it, and if anything, it does it to enhance moments. Like when you're all on the stage, the the big fight scene in the play, you are fighting in it. Yeah. Um, and the game constantly does stuff like that. There are random encounters, but the rate isn't too bad. And again, like the combat I find enjoyable enough that it's not a huge thing. And this game, obviously, I love quite a bit. I'm, I'm gushing about it here. I think that it is so just charming and fun that I think most people will get swept up in that. And it happens so quickly. A lot of times in RPGs, they're like, give it an hour or, you know, whatever. Yeah, or, like game, or in the case of like a Persona 4 where it's like, give it 30 hours and you'll be hooked. It's like, okay. <laughs> this game puts its best foot forward and 
and I'm just having the best time revisiting it. Yeah, I will say just uh, first of all, your excitement is palpable and is making me excited. And I literally just looked up how much it was. And also if my switch was within arm's distance so I could buy it like while you're talking about it. (laughs) My switch is in my bedroom, so I would have to get up and leave the recording to go purchase it. But maybe during the break. Anyway, uh, I am also on a quest with some friends of mine. We're watching every Studio Ghibli movie and we've been spending weekends every once in a while just like, well, venture to somebody's house and we'll just like watch as many as we can stay awake for in a row essentially and for some reason the the way you're describing the vibe and the characters and and the the charm of that game elicits so much of what i love about the ghibli films yeah honestly it it has that magic to it if i I had to directly compare i would say how's moving castle kind of feels like a very similar tone mm. where it's kind of it's kind of steampunky not like obnoxiously so but like you're given like there's so many things, and this is kind of what I was getting at with talking to NPCs, like that movie in particular gives you so many little pieces of a of a much bigger world that you are left still imagining about once the movie is done. Yeah. You know, like there are so many things that that movie doesn't overtly explain that you're just kind of shown you're like, well, this world is so cool. And, and FF9 does that as well. But yeah, I think it definitely has a Miyazaki vibe. I think that this that FF9 has that palpable charm that you get from kind of the classic Miyazaki movies. And that's what I'm looking for most in a game like this is that kind of charm and that kind of like getting sucked into the world. That's why Dragon Quest XI sounded so appealing to me when you were talking about it. And also in the research I've done about it since then is this idea that like, yeah, you know, the, the gameplay itself is fun, but that's not as much why you're playing it as it is just like living in the world um and and just like seeing what it has to offer and that kind of sounds like final fantasy 9 has that plus like an engaging narrative on top of that and then there's yeah, also I mean, gameplay like i would say the strength of 9 is definitely the characters like the story as most final fantasies do does kind of get wild towards the end yeah of course um but at that point you are so invested in this crew that like it doesn't even matter yeah you know and, and that that game has a beautiful ending um and vivi so vivi's story it's not actually unlike Nier Automata, where you mind if I spoil it a little bit? It's no, pretty early it. on that you learn this. So Vivi, the reason he's one of my favorite characters, this lovable like little dork who trips constantly, um, secretly this very powerful black mage, um, you learn early on that he is one of many black mage puppets that are just mass produced as weapons. Oh, wow. There's a great moment early on where like, you see like this weird factory making black mages and vivi's like do you think those look like me and you could tell him like yes or no and like Uh, at a certain point at a certain point he's like do you think i'm just one of them steiner actually says like steiner loves vivi too which is a great like before like he hates the day and he loves vivi and like he would die for garnet but he calls him master vivi and he's like master vivi like i don't really understand your question and zidane's like yeah like even if you are, you're still you. Mm. And like, there's so many great moments like that. Like, it's not like, you know, the action doesn't stop for that. It isn't like, you know, cause you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a seemingly like regular sentiment. There's a great moment later in the game where Zidane and Vivi are just like peeing, they're taking a leak off a cliff together. (laughs) And they're just like talking about like, cause Vivi learns like that there's like an expiration date set for what he is. Mm -hmm. Um, and Zidane's like, well, I'm also going to die one day. He's like, you just know a bit more yeah. than I do. And he's like, and, and that, that just that sort of casual reinforcement of like, you're still you. And like, we're all kind of in this together. Yeah. Uh, is like a really beautiful thing. Um, they can do like, 
Steiner can do a thing where Vivi can cast a spell on his sword and like strike it with like a magic sword, basically. Mm. So like there are some moves you can do together. And Vivi's kind of like existential crisis, excuse me, existential crisis alongside kind of a coming of age story is really, really well done. Yeah. Zidane's a, a good leading man. He, uh, he has some moments where you're like, shut up, you know, but like he's clearly putting on a facade. Mm. I think that like when you get to the core of his character, he is like a kind person and he's a nice change of pace from like, I like Squall and Cloud, but like those are two very kind of like whatever I'm emotionally guarded characters. And Zidane is so wears his heart on his sleeve, even if he has kind of like a sort of Han Solo, like macho persona, like he's not, and everyone knows it and they call yeah, him out on it. That's great. It's just, it's just a, it's just a great game. And I was really happy to replay and be like, I could safely recommend this to anybody. Mm. And I think that they would really enjoy it. There's a weird match of the gathering card game in it that I'm still trying to understand. <laughs> uh, so that's fun. If you're into that. Um, oh, another thing I like about this game, if you were curious, uh, <laughs> there are these things called active time events where just as you're playing a menu will pop up and you can select it and there are just little vignettes you can see of characters happening elsewhere that like the action isn't going to stop to give you a cutscene. but if you're just like i wonder like what this character is up to right now you can watch them that's awesome and that these little vignettes like there's one uh one of the members of tantalus is this woman ruby and like you know, this is dramatic escape on the airship out of Alexandria. And then later there's an active time event with her. And she's just like, where is everyone? <laughs> like, <that's it. laughs> and, and again, like just that, that like shifting perspective makes you so immersed in the game. Yeah. There's some ones that like, you're kind of demanded to watch. There's a great one. It's a recurring thing where the game's tutorials are structured around these two Moogles named, uh, Mogster, and I think I think Moggy, but I know Mogster is the older brother mm. and his younger brother's like, hey, bro, what are you teaching me today? And he's like, lots of stuff. And you can just go through all the tutorials, uh, tutorials. Yeah. And then at the end, he goes like, wow, bro, you sure know a lot. And he goes, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> it's just incredible. It's like these two Moogles in a swamp just talking about the entire game. Yeah. Uh, I love that framing device. And all the save points are Moogles who like you can actually talk to and they have like letters they're delivering each other so like when you go to one save point he might be like hey can you deliver this letter to this moogle and then you get like their story as these world events are happening so that's what i mean that's the great. game is just like yeah. every every nook and cranny that they could have a story they do yeah like they, it feels so lived in because of that like save points are usually just like a glowing beacon where you just save and instead they chose to make it like an entire race of creatures that that are also living in the same world and and there's one that you actually have to like you know like thaw out of ice and then like later like thanks you for it in a letter it's great that's awesome it, it that reminds so me a lot alive. of near where the save points are kind of like there's like a gameplay uh beat attached to unlocking a save point where you have yeah. to like clear out the robots away from them before you can save there um sure and also cool. the letters that people send you like in your inbox throughout yeah. um yeah, man, I, I, I know I've just been gushing for 40 minutes straight. Let's check the time. Yeah. Um, but I do think that like, I'm so happy now that I'm like, okay, this is a game that I think highlights like the best of this era of Final Fantasy. Like, I'm sure there's plenty to point out about 10 and, and 12 and, and 13 and 15, but I think nine is sort of like the swan song of this era. 
Um, yeah. And I think that it does a great job of like being like, hey, here are like the best bits and pieces of like this franchise as one package. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is like the ones that I played the most of are 10 and 15, um, which 10, like definitely in the beginning, like there's so much melodrama there. There's like so much just like kind of darkness kind of like cast over it. And 15, very similar thing where the story is so dark the whole time but like at the end of the day you are basically in like a boy band in a car like driving around and like the moments <laughs> the moments when like your characters are either like taking pictures of you or you're cooking food together like at a campsite like those are my favorite moments of final fantasy 15 um final fantasy 10 i never really had that kind of connection with because there was not as much levity there outside of like playing the uh i just forgot the name of the the sports Thing. Blitzball, yeah. Outside of playing Blitzball, which was like, yeah, oh, yeah. this rules. But like, those were the things that I liked about that game, and there wasn't enough of it in either of them to really connect with. Um, and it sounds like Nine leans heavily into that more than anything else, which is exactly what I'm looking for in a Final Fantasy game. It seems. I again, I haven't played one like to completion or like gotten super far invested in one, but it sounds like this is maybe the one to have that happen. Oh, no, I agree. And I think that your comparison without playing it to Miyazaki is very apt. I think that it does have that kind of charm to it, yeah. especially in the world design and everything. Yeah, there's one character. I just watched Castle in the Sky, which you haven't seen. I'm not going to like spoil anything, but there's one character in Castle in the Sky when uh, th- they are underground in a mine and two of the protagonists are walking through the mine and they come across an old man in the mine. And, and the old man just looks directly at them and goes, ah, two goblins. And like, <laughs> and the, and one of the kids is like, you're my uncle. We've known each other for our whole lives. He's like, ooh, the goblin speaks. And I'm just like, yes, this is why I watch these movies is for that exact kind of and, thing. And that's, I think it's like, you know, it's it's the difference between the, a, a game story telling you it's important and you just feeling that it is important, you know? Because like, I think, like, I think you and I both gravitate towards like fantasy worlds that are, I guess, a bit more like high fantasy and, and a bit more colorful than than like a Game of Thrones kind of vibe. But um, the reason why I think that is important is because, again, when the stakes are high and they are, you are so much more immersed in it. Yeah. You're like I've had these wonderful moments, you know, and, and it gets it gets dark pretty quickly. I mean, the stuff with Vivi is like very haunting. And uh, there's a great moment early on where you're on a ship full of the black mage puppets. And th- there are these recurring enemies called the black waltzes that are like extra powerful black mages that are like trying to get the princess back yeah and that's again it's a very simple framing device it's essentially like escape right like you can frame so much around that that's essentially what the comic saga is about or it's like all the stuff around like Mm. just people kind of escaping their their uh their their adversaries the black waltz comes on the ship and is like garnet like come back like i'm gonna kill the rest of these clowns basically Uh, and Steiner's that's the moment where Steiner actually shows his bravery because he's like what you're doing is reprehensible like as like he's the Knights of Pluto that's his thing he's like I Steiner the Knights of Pluto which isn't even like it's perfect it's perfect Um, and all his knights are like total clowns like they waste their time they're like you have to gather all of them at one point but then when he does say things that are profound you're like hell yeah steiner like i knew i trusted you yeah that's awesome and the thing too is the game uses cutscenes like a very strong spice where like when it goes into these still beautifully animated sequences they are very big moments like there's one really fun one in the beginning where like garnet is being you know like she's in disguise trying to escape 
And she looks at Zidane with like a smiling face and then just jumps off the castle roof and he's like, oh my God, and Steiner's like flipping out. Yeah. Like, you know, because he's like, his whole life is protecting this person. Yeah. But in this one, Vivi, Steiner, and Zidane are about to be killed by this black waltz and all the black mage puppets stand in front of them to protect them. Mm. They haven't said anything before and Vivi's been trying to get their attention, but like just based on that one interaction, they're trying to like protect them. Yeah. Which is a really touching moment. And then the black waltz just kills all of them. Mm. And you see, you see like Vivi's face as he sees all of these black mages just like falling from the sky. And of course that's the battle where he gets like his limit break. And I'm like, fuck yeah, dude, I love this. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's great. so good. See that also uh, not to like keep doing this, but that also links back to the reason that I'm watching Dragon Ball. Like that is like, yeah, that's like yeah. such a Dragon Ball franchise kind of thing to or have happen. Even, uh, even Persona, like the first time yes. Ryuji gets his like, like, you know, like there's, there's plenty of silly moments in that game, but like, again, talk about high stakes, like, holy shit. Yeah. But what I love about not to do uh, well, why not? What I love about video games is like a medium as a whole is the like, elongated release of those kinds of things like the Steiner thing that you were just talking about where it's like the moments where he shows bravery or the moments where you're like holy shit yeah this is why I'm like sticking with this guy in the first place but you have like probably I'm sure like five to ten hours between those moments maybe not always that long but like the fact that they can extend out that time because they know that you're going to be playing a game for you know 80 to 100 hours like yeah you can have a three hour wait which would be two entire movies usually where like those kinds of releases would come much more frequently. You can extend you get very out. invested. Yeah. You get very invested. So you get and even more too, heavily invested. Yeah, exactly. FF nine goes by real quick. Like they constantly change the setting of that game that you never feel like, like as much as I love persona, you definitely feel the, the time that you spend in a pat in a palace, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, Oh yeah, I got totally. three weeks, you know, whereas, and, and, and that's because it is a dungeon crawler at some point. That's kind of the genre it's in. Yeah. But FF9 like constantly keeps things fresh. And I think because of that as well, you never feel, it never feels laborious to play. It feels like you're constantly being guided. And that's a strong sense of direction. It's a strong sense of writing. It's just the best. It's simply the best. Despite some shitty moments where Zidane's like, I like girls. It's like, all right, dude, I get it. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah, Zidane just has some moments where he's like, uh, again, he has this Masha persona. So like he, you know, the thing is, no one ever rewards him or thinks it's good that he is behaving that way sometimes. Then mm. that's why, because again, it's like, it's so, it's so phony that you can't really like get mad at the game for doing that. Yeah. Even though there's a couple moments where it's like, okay, we could have probably not had that moment. Yeah. Um, but overall, just like brilliant. Yeah. Final <laughs> Fantasy nine available so on you think, Nintendo have Switch. I, have I convinced you to get it? Yes. Here's, here's my current problem. Is that all of my time that I have to spend video games, I've been playing Apex Legends. And then when I'm not playing Apex Legends, it's usually because I'm on the train <laughs> or like recording or editing a podcast. So I'm playing Fire Emblem Awakening. And I don't know where Final Fantasy IX is going to fit in there, but I do really want to play it now based on this conversation. I think my advice would be once you are done, once you've reached an endpoint with Awakening, mm-hmm. um, because I do think at a certain point they occupy a similar place in one schedule yeah. for games. Um, the thing about FF9 that I will say to play sooner than later is like you can kind of go at your own pace. It is very much like it's very cinematic. So it's kind of like watching a long movie or a long TV show. Yeah. Where you you can kind of like there whenever I play that game, I'm like, okay, this is a good end point. Like I feel like I got like a very nice like moment of story yeah. that I can kind of call it here. So 
it's not a game that demand like i think apex legends is a game that like is very fun and addictive mm-hmm. um and will take a lot of time that way uh awakening is kind of oddly in the middle where like, you can get addicted to like the sort of concrete aspects of the gameplay while also wanting to see a story unfold yeah um and ff9 is like kind of more story mm-hmm. so uh, really, really depends what you're looking for, but I am so excited for you to eventually play it. I hope this is the one that works. No pressure if it does not click for you. Um, but I think that I do think that like of the Final Fantasies that are that are older, nine I think is the one to check out if you mm-hmm. missed the bandwagon. Yeah, cool. A glowing recommendation from Stephen Hilger. Yeah, I haven't. I think the last time I did that was near Automata, and maybe with uh, some of our Game of the Year stuff. Yeah, I when I was like. I think of the episodes we've released, this is number 31, I believe, of the ones that we've yeah. released, like how many of them have just been focused on one game like this? Like Octopath, I think, was one. Octopath is one. I think Night in the Woods is one. Uh, both games I truly love. Yeah. Octo- it's funny that Octopath got its own one, because that was like when we were just starting out. I don't know if that would have gotten its whole one like in our current yeah, system. I th- yeah, I think that was more of like us trying to land on a format. Yeah, but uh, it's, in- it- it's interesting actually to think about Octopath in comparison because that was a game that was kind of trying to bring back the vibe of classic final fantasy 2 2019 yeah and it so did in presentation and gameplay and does not at all in story yeah <laughs> like and i think if the if the former two weren't so good it would have been a dud but it truly wasn't it was it was a great game yeah um, and i think like it is worth noting that since we recorded that episode square enix has come out and said we are looking into making a sequel to octopath traveler um so and I'm like curious it definitely that. resonated with enough people that they think it would be worth making a second one i think so i think that it was definitely like despite everything i felt very fresh oddly enough yeah um, i agree and i think that like you know talking about talking about like kind of turn-based combat and like how you do that today i think that octopath is is a pretty glowing example of how to handle turn-based combat in 2019 yeah and and i think we don't talk about enough i think on this show is like i it's very normal to not play an entire video game. I think in 2019, like that is becoming increasingly more normal, which is why games like Fortnite and apex legends exist is like, you know, it, it there's no pickup or end point really. Um, so Octopath Traveler, even though I loved that game, like I didn't play through all of it. And there was a point where no. I was like, I'm definitely done with this and I don't want to play anymore, but that doesn't mean that I disliked it. You know? Yeah, exactly. I, I think that there's, it's weird where I think sometimes people have a metric for games of like hitting a certain hour mark. And like there are games that I love that have stayed with me for years that are less than 10 hours long. Yeah. Um, I don't think you need a game to be 40 plus hours to tell an effective story. Yeah. Um, but in a game like FF nine, it is using its longer format. I, think, I honestly think that game is probably like, 20 to 30 hours. Like if you just kind of went through it all I think there's a lot of extra stuff you can do. Mm. But I don't think it's that long, so I think you're in luck, baby. <laughs> wow. I'm in luck. Should we wrap up? Yeah, I guess so. I guess that's the whole episode, isn't it? That is the um, whole episode. I'm excited to hear a bit more about you playing Awakening. I'm excited to hear about whenever you're able to play FF9. I do also want to eventually play 7 uh, once it comes out in March Yeah, uh, and see if I feel this way. The thing, whenever I played FF7, I feel like I'm like reading a yearbook. It's, it's like so hard. <laughs> it's so hard for me to like truly examine that game, yeah, uh, as its own thing. Because like I just feel like I'm like, yeah, this is like, this is my DNA at this point. Yeah, you know, that's like, the thing. Is uh, like I'm either going to 
be like the perfect case study for trying that game out like way after it came out and like seeing if I can connect with it or alternatively like I think I might bounce off of the same reasons I didn't really like 10 or 15 that much which was like the melodrama of it all like even if the writing is really good I think just like so seven despite what you might think based on like the current media about seven seven's vibe is actually much less melancholic than than if anything that game is carried more by a sense of mystery than it is by melodrama Mm. um because like they established pretty early on that cloud like doesn't really have his shit together yeah so like you know right away he's kind of an unreliable narrator and like it's definitely a darker vibe just because the setting is a lot more like uh dystopian current society than it is like high fantasy yeah um but i think honestly the other reason i say ff9 is a good gateway is i think if you play nine and you like nine you might have a higher tolerance to play games like seven and eight because they provide elements of what you're looking for so you're like, okay i know what i am wanting to get from this now yeah and i might have like a higher tolerance to like go because that, that happened to me with uh you know i played persona 5 and i was like i love this and i went back and played the older games and i was like okay I can put up with some of the like quality of life, like changes that like are not as good because I know like what I'm getting into. Yeah. Um, although that only got me so far because I got halfway through three and I was like, I'm not enjoying this, <laughs> <laughs> but four was definitely worth playing. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I dude, I could go. I'm so, thank you for giving me this. Like, <laughs> I could literally have my own show about, about these games i i am a huge fan yeah um it's kind of like you know how we did kingdom hearts like i'm glad you gave me you threw me some scraps uh for ff9 so yeah thank you for letting me do that with kingdom hearts also oh yeah i mean i i also like that game. although you're the one that brought it for the third week in a row that's true i played birth by sleep birth by steep birth by steep yeah but yeah well let's wrap up um yeah hey thanks so much to everybody who listened uh this far into the show uh, got all the way through to the end. Hello. Nice to meet you. Um, nice to meet you. <laughs> I don't know why that was the thing. Um, I liked it. If you like the show uh, and you think you know somebody else who might like it, maybe share it with them because um, that's how the show gets bigger um, and that would help us out a lot. Uh, if you want to follow the show, we have a Twitter account. It's at Into the Cast. You can get uh, updates for episodes and also we will just like retweet stupid garbage or just tweet out stupid garbage <laughs> so um if you like stupid garbage and twitter.com guess what match made in heaven um what else is going on oh yeah if you really like the show and you want to help us out even more um if you head over to apple Podcasting and give us a review that would help out just a whole bunch that'd be lovely yeah and just thank you for listening uh this uh show has brought us much joy this episode, just talking about this and sharing it with you has been lovely. Um, I'm really hoping I can have you join my cult for this game. Uh, <laughs> so, fingers crossed. Yeah. It is interesting. I feel like, I, I think we can talk about it now that we're at the end of the show, but I, it is interesting that like this podcast like oscillates so frequently between like just being a show about the things that you and I very specifically love and like the fact that that's resonating with anyone is amazing because I feel like it's just it's so for just you and me um but yeah it's cool for sure but I mean I'm I'm sure there are people out there who, who feel the same or maybe you know I don't know voyeuristically enjoy that <laughs> maybe way. yeah uh but yeah for real thank you for listening um and yeah have a wonderful week have a great week
what was the the thing we said oh yeah have a great week the, uh, have a great week the yeah that was uh, in the uh uh in the woods episode yeah how far we've come from mentioning how oblivion every come. week <laughs> one day we'll be like this is the oblivion episode we're gonna do one that's <laughs> talking about a game that like is not a good gateway for the series <laughs> that's like the roadblock of the elder scrolls i feel Although, honestly oh go ahead i feel like if we ever do a live episode like in front of people mm. like it has to be the oblivion episode it has to be yeah it, exactly it won't even be about oblivion it'll just be it will be oblivion yeah like, we'll show up like i hear mud crabs <laughs> are in season <laughs> I feel like you and I should do a live let's play, and that's that's into the Aether live oh a live God. let's play well, of Oblivion. When you and I is, make a character, why and, is the Oblivion let's play our white whale? That's something we have talked about doing yeah. and did a little bit. We made that horrible cat man. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah, <laughs> he had like <laughs> <laughs> somehow his like back got messed up. I remember we like took off his arm and we we're like, oh, his back was like. <laughs> Yeah. It was really gross. I wonder where that um, went. Yeah. We'll have to dig through the archives. <laughs> um, anyway, bye. Goodbye. Oh, yeah. My name is Brendan Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Uh, Talk to you next week. Have a great week. Online.